also everybody's a lot of SDRs are like too quick to the outcome. Like if I get them on the phone, I have to get them to a meeting. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Joining Brad on today's episode of Decision Point is Abby King. Abby is currently a marketing development manager at Textio. Abby's found herself in different sales roles across the SaaS community and each one becoming more successful. Abby joins Brad today to talk about these successes and what it takes to really become a positive seller in the SaaS community. You know, tell us a little bit about Casted and how you got to the role that you're in. Okay, there, there's a lot to unpack here. I got into Casted from uh, a referral at my last company, Springbuck. So that's how that's how I knew about Casted and essentially, um, there's, there's a ton to unload here, but before casted, I was wanting to completely pivot career paths. I got my confidence bruised at a previous role and I was certain sales was not for me. Like, no way I'm not doing this. I will get on a dev team. So that's when I signed up for a coding boot camp. And at the same time, I got a call from my friend that said, Hey, I think you should check out becoming an SDR at casted. And at that point, I really, I didn't have anything to lose. I was like, sure, why not? This would maybe be fun to build something because I do have an interest in building something through code. So maybe I'll build this division of the business. So that's how I landed at Casted. And, and did you have, it looks like, so you did a little, you mentioned you did a little code camp. It looks like, did you have a degree in dietetics? Yes. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So you were like, Hey, I'm going to be a, di- were you thinking dietitian or what were you, what were you thinking when you were coming out of school? Yeah. So I studied to be a dietitian and I won't tell you all the things and that you need to accomplish to become a dietitian. However, I did all the things. So internship, it's like six months long. You have to pay for the internship. You basically have to pay to work and you just like go through a bunch of different rotations. You're learning all the different segments of nutrition and clinical care. And that's, but that's how I landed at my first company. So I technically was hired on as a clinical dietitian and Brad, I didn't, I didn't pass the exam a couple times to get the RD behind my name. And it wasn't, it definitely discouraged me to an extent, but also at the same time, I really valued one of my coworkers. I saw she was super smart. She had, she was an RD, uh, registered dietitian. She had that behind her name, but she was in sales. And I was like, I want your job. You have the freedom. You're making great money. I should explore this. So an opportunity opened at my first company and that's how I got into selling. So yes, I wanted to be a clinical dietitian. I'm very happy with my decision because the ceiling in, in the clinical setting, the ceiling is quite low. And a lot of it is like retroactive care. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. You know, there's so much pressure on you as a student to know what you want to do. Oh, yeah. And your your world is just so small. Like, you just don't have, it's not very big. Like, in no. anybody's world, it's not very big, right? No. Um, it's crazy that at 18, they're like, decide what you want to do. <laughs> Excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of, well, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, interesting. So, you get into sales, and then you, you mentioned taking a bump. Or like having your, mm-hmm. having a, like a, I would call it a bruised ego and you correct that if that's wrong, but what happened that got you, got you bumped up? Uh, I would say 
I, I can't attribute it to one thing. So when I was at this healthcare company, it all came very easy to me. I, I knew what we were selling. I felt really confident in uh, our positioning and how I help patients and um, doctors and everybody on the, the care team. And at that point, I was like, I need to get into something a little bit more complex because I, I like the sale. I like the relationship aspect. And so that's when I jumped ship. Uh, and there were just a ton of things that I had to learn because when I was in the clinical sale, it's essentially the equivalent of door to door. And I was just like driving to hospitals all around Indiana at the time, trying to meet people, get introduced to people. And then it wasn't a ton of cold calling at the time. It was a, ton, it was a lot of warm calling. Oh, yeah, um, okay. They know who yeah. you are and you're coming into the office. And, yeah, exactly. Hey, Abby. So it wasn't like I'm a complete stranger. So that was a, that was a barrier itself as I transitioned. Wait, what? How, what am I supposed to say on a cold call? I don't, I don't understand. So th- that was a barrier. I, I don't think I was super passionate about actually what I was selling. And there, there was some culture things where I, it was the first time that I really didn't feel like I belonged. And I've always been a part of the team. And it was the first time that I was like, wow, I didn't really understand the impact of belonging. And it really shook me <laughs> uh, because it was like this constant battle in my head. And then like what was actually happening there, there's a ton to unpack there, but I, at oh, that point well, I was sales like, sales is like, there's a lot of my, there's a lot of games. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Gonna be tough. Yeah. So I, gosh, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I, I would go in the bathroom and like cry and then come out and me being a ginger. I'm like, it's so obvious when a, a pale redhead cries because everything turns red. Uh, and then I come back to the <laughs> office, like put on, like just get my attitude back in check and just keep on moving forward. But it was just, constantly happening and eventually I came to terms with like maybe this just isn't for me but it was my only experience so I didn't know what to do and so that landed me as an SDR for a SaaS company so it sounds like that was better so what what I think you're probably in good hands but what what kind of transpired there do you like do you like that role I did at at my first SDR role I definitely was still I went into getting hired and uh, I'm okay sharing this, telling my boss or my hiring manager, like, I don't want to be on this team. I'm going to, I want to be in like product or project management, whatever it was. Like, I want to get out of sales because I just had this association that it's just terrible. And so of course, like he was like, you know what? I'd love to get you there. We, you have to, you know, your priorities are your job, which absolutely makes hundred percent sense. And I like I wanted to get out of sales so bad that I just tried my absolute hardest to be amazing at it. <laughs> so like I started dialing the first day, like I wanted to make a, a name for myself, have this amazing reputation of like she will outwork anybody because she wants the next thing. And looking back, I don't know if that was the best tactic. It worked. However, I, I felt like my at the time, like my intern, my intentions weren't great. And I just wanted the next thing. And the next thing ended up happening. I got the promotion, but at the same time, COVID hit and everything was put on pause. And so the universe had a different way of saying like, you need to stay in sales. And so I stayed and that's when I got the idea of maybe I should deepen my skills, learn some code, because if I want to be on a product team and be able to talk the business while also talking to a dev team, like I've got to be able to understand 
the 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 language and how to communicate it to different audiences. So what made you think you wanted to be in product? Because I wanted to get out of sales so bad. Oh, you just went out so bad. You're like, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. And like, to be honest, like getting into a SaaS company, I also really liked the the dynamic of the product floor. This was when we were in the office. It just felt like a very, like the product team was so collaborative. They wanted to build together. They wanted to do things together. And I was like, that's very interesting to me because if you came on the sales side, you just pe- keep hearing people say no, no, or you know, it's just a different dynamic. Huh. And I w- was reading like a, a book about pro- product management at the time. I was taking Coursera courses on product management. And I was for certain that was the the path for me. And actually, while I was still in SDR, I, um, I took a trip out to Washington, which is where I live now. And it's beautiful here if you've never spent uh, time here. And I was like, wow, the tech scene is so big. I want to move out here. It's so beautiful. It would just be such a big goal to make it out here. And so that I also had that in my mind of it's such a big tech hub. You got to learn how to code if you want to make it out here, which it's so funny. It's funny how ignorant I was to think that like, I'm going to learn how to code in six months and then I'm going to get hired as a front end developer at Microsoft. Like when I, when I think about that narrative, that's so silly to me looking back, but that was, that was my goal. I love it. I love people's perception. So I love, there's two things I love and why I really like doing the podcast. I love to hear people's perception. I think my favorite thing to hear in all of is when somebody says, oh, I can do that. Like I love when people are like, oh, I got that. I can, I saw. So I love hearing perception. I love how people think about stuff. And then I love when people are like, oh, I can do that. Because I think I can do that's the most powerful. Absolutely. Um, when you say you can do it, it's hard to not actually get it done. Yes. When you look at something and you're like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. That self-belief. And so I love hearing, I love hearing that. Uh, I and I also find agree. it really interesting, like what people are insecure about, because it's never, it's never anything that anybody would ever pick up on. No, you know, like when people no. talk about their insecurities, people yeah. are always astonished. Like, really? You think that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I completely agree. And like, to your point, Brad, um, like the, the self-belief is like so important when I look back at like, how did, how did you figure this out? How have you navigated this? And I also think about like who I'm surrounded by. And I've had so many people just like in my ear saying like, you, you literally can do anything, whatever you want, just like bring your best effort every single day, you'll figure it out. And it, it like, when you consistently hear those things, you start to believe in yourself and you're like, yeah, I can. Yep. Even, yeah. if, even if the result is failure, you tried. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. So did you have like a super, like growing up or is it, did you feel like super, it sounded like you felt super supported and like you'd been a part of a lot of teams and. Yeah, I, I, I grew up very fortunate, Brad. My dad was an entrepreneur and I, I saw how much he worked. It was constantly him traveling on the phone, doing seven jobs at once. And so I think that was like my first exposure into like hard work. And also I was, I was a part of teams and the collaboration and all that. And then actually I don't have a relationship with my dad now. However, that seeing that was like the first exposure, like you really have to work hard for the things that you want and nothing worth having comes easy. And also at the same time, like my, my mom has been like my backbone and my mom has always said to me, Abby, I don't know what you're meant for, but you're meant for big things because you're incredibly stubborn and you know what you want and you're just going to go like all gas, no brakes and whatever you do. 
And, you know, hearing this when you're like 16 of like, I don't know what you're meant for, but you're meant for big things. You're like, I just want to go jump on my trampoline. <laughs> like, I, don't know what that, I don't know what that means, but sure. Uh, but to be honest, that that thought and that narrative has just been like stuck in my head. And whenever I've had any setback in my now professional career, my mom's like, you'll figure it out. You always do. You're meant for big things. Just remember that. And I also... My my brother is pretty professionally accomplished, so I've always had this 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 comparison of my my brother's a big wig. I gotta I gotta also do that. So it, it, the narrative has always been there of I'm gonna work really hard <laughs> and figure it out as I go. These are my favorite things to talk about because I think resiliency and hard work and getting back up. Yeah, it's so key, and it's key to sales because oh, you know yeah. when you think about. Maybe it's my personality because I've had people be like, that's not true. But yeah. I feel like sales is adverse. Like yes. you want somebody to do something and then they typically want to do something else. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to get that person on ground with you, which is typically asking them lots of questions, right? Trying to understand, yeah. you know, whether you, you know, it's usually they got to sell themselves before you can sell them. I know when we think about sales, we used to think about us pitching. Yeah. My experience has been, People who get pitched get buyer's remorse. So they really got, you got to, as a good salesperson, you got to get that person to talk themselves into it. So sure. it's really more listening. It's, and I, I had an upbringing, this drives me. Have you been through like Sandler sales training? Uh, not officially. Okay. Like unofficially been through yeah. the pain, like the pain funnel? Okay. Yeah. I give you the unofficial pain funnel classes. Yeah. So my, my dad was a, a family marriage counselor. Uh-huh. And so I can remember he taught us how to active listen. And I hated it because I felt like it was antagonistic. And like, I felt like, I'm like, you're trying to control me with these yeah. questions, you know? So I, I, I hated it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what it did was it really made me a good listener. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to listen to people. And, and I do think you can be, anta- you got to be careful. When you ask questions, you got to be careful because sure. you can't antagonize people. Like Absolutely. you don't want to ask questions that are obvious. I think that's the first mistake SDRs make is when yeah. they come out of, uh, class and you teach them how to ask questions, they ask the same question, no matter the context. And it comes off as really disingenuous. Yeah. You know, if you're going to ask questions, you really need to be prepared to be curious and listen. Yeah. But as a salesperson, I think a lot of damage, a lot of damage is done with, and we call it empathy, which I don't really like, like you tell people to be empathetic, but I, I do think a lot of damage is done because early sales reps get taught how to ask questions and they don't ask them right. And it does, it, it can be antagonistic and uh, not great, but yeah. yeah. So active listening, I think is super important. So yeah. when you made the transition to sales development, mm-hmm. obviously you had some success and they moved to sales development manager. Do you have, and, and then it sounds like COVID hit and that's how you're going to end up at uh, where you are today. Yeah. Or no, you went one other place, right? You went to. Yes, did. Yep. Where I'm at now. Yeah. Oh, did I mess up? So did, were you, so you had gone to, you were at what, Texas and then you went to Springbuck. So are you at Springbuck when, uh, when COVID hits? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I find it just interesting. All these people who are early in their careers that have been interrupted by COVID, like mm-hmm. it's your first job. It's your first role, like management role. It's like, you know, you're supposed to do this and then it didn't happen. You know, right. all these, I just think about all these people that were promised prom- promotions on Tuesday. Yeah. And then Wednesday, Wednesday, the whole world goes on lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. So 
have you had, you know, making the transition, what's been the biggest lesson you feel like you had to learn from being an SDR to being a sales developer, to being a manager? I think the biggest, a, a lesson that I've definitely learned is not everybody is going to be an SDR like Abby was. And that's, I think everybody in this seat eventually learns that. And you have to be able to change your narrative depending on like who your audience is. That was, that was definitely a big lesson. I also think a, a massive learning, just becoming a people leader. I constantly felt this urge when I first started off of, I have to have the answer for everything because I have these people that are looking at me, expecting me to know everything. And I put an immense amount of pressure on myself. Just, you know, maybe I, I don't know everything. I, I got really good at Googling when I started to learn how to code. And I felt this, I just put so much pressure on myself. Like you have to know the answer because now you're a leader, Abby. And if you don't know it, you're a bad leader. I, and it's such a silly thing in my head, but I, I think that's something that will always be ongoing of not putting so much pressure on. You have to know this, but I, it's okay. Now I have this, this thing in my head now that says like, it's okay if you don't know, but it's now your job to go find out and steer them in the right direction. So th that's, it's an ongoing thing, Brad. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's probably okay to have a little bit of that tension. I think some yeah. of that, some of that drive is what made it sound like what made you really good at being a, being an SDR. Yeah. Is, you know, some of, some of that, some of that fire, you know, if you were thinking about a message that you would give to yourself starting out in the SDR role, well, let's back up. What do you think makes a good SDR? Let's start there. Cause I don't have a lot of SDR managers on here. So I want to take the time to, to, to get your thoughts on like, what makes a good SDR? What do you look for in a good SDR? You know, why, why should somebody start? I mean, why should somebody start out in the SDR role versus going out and doing something else? Yeah, I, I want to start with what I what attributes I think make a great SDR. I mean, I obviously I have to say coachability. You gotta you gotta leave your ego at the door, and you've got to be open to feedback and take in little bits and pieces of everything that you learn and try it out in the wild and see what works for you, and you create your own style. So if if someone's has an attitude or they're not coachable, it's, it's so hard because they're getting in their own way. And it's like, well, let me help, help me help you. <laughs> but unfortunately, like, if you're not coachable, I, I can't do much. I also think problem solving is really big. And I talk to my team about this a lot. If you see a problem, I also expect you to bring a couple solutions to the table. It doesn't mean that they all have to be right. But I want you to be thinking about how would I solve this by myself if I didn't have a leader here. So I think like problem solving is really huge. Also critically thinking, uh, especially if if you do cold call, not everybody is going to respond the exact same. And you've got to be able to pivot and be agile and think on your feet, depending on who you're talking to. I think those are those are really important attributes. Lastly resiliency. You, you get told no way more than you get told yes. And at some point it kind of feels like, well, I haven't heard from anybody in a week. Nothing. I've done nothing different with my approach. And it's, it's that mental toughness that we were talking about earlier. You got to be able to talk yourself out of it. So you bring up a good, so you bring up a, you, you kind of nicked on something that I, that I heard somebody say. So we do on Wednesdays, there's a um, group of guys that 
called SalesCast and they use our product to take live calls. And so we broadcast this on LinkedIn and they bring in a sales coach and the coach is coaching them why every week they bring in a new consultant and the consultant's coaching them, writes the script, they do the pitch, he's coaching them on what to say. Super yeah. interesting. But somebody said something a, a week ago that I thought was really interesting. He said, be really careful not to be changing your script on every pitch mm-hmm. based on what they say to you. You got to come. And I thought that was interesting. I'll tell you why. Because he says, you got to come up with something and then you got to test it over time. You sure. can't, if you're just constantly changing that script you every time somebody works. says, yeah. But on the flip yeah. side, it's a dichotomy, right? Because you got to yeah. pay attention to what the person, you know, what the person is saying to you. And yeah. I, I think the whole concept, I like to ask people like script or no script. Um, I think it's super interesting. I got like really big opinions on it. I think scripting is super important. Now, the difference is your doctor's scripted and so is the guy at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. The mm-hmm. difference is your doctor knows how to position that based, based on, on your diagnosis. Should, yeah, On your diagnosis, yeah. should be. Because they're scripted, sure. right? They know what to mm-hmm. say, how they're supposed to say it. They've, they've interacted with how they're supposed to interact with the patient. And there's all kinds of situational things that need to change there. Yeah. The same thing at the drive-thru. They have a script and most of the time they're not going to edit from the script, right? Yeah. They're going to say whatever you're supposed to say and they're just going to say it. And when you say the opposite, they're just going to repeat it back to you. So the difference is there's a big difference between, they both have scripts, but you want to be more like the, you want to be more like the doctor. And I think the situational awareness thing is like super, super important. Yeah. Uh, So. With that being said, script or no scripts, what do you think? I think there's moments, like if we're if we're just focusing in on cold calling, I think there's moments in a cold call that need to be scripted because nothing is more painful than like also doing the cold call and being on the receiving end of a cold call. And it's just like, I wasn't expecting you to answer. And so you don't, you don't, I mean, especially when I was thinking about like, when I was cold calling, I would get so flustered when somebody would answer because you don't get many people to answer. And the moment that somebody would get on the line, I went through this period where I just like froze. I don't know what to say. The answer, I wasn't expecting it. So I think there are, to answer your question, there are moments for it. I definitely think like a strong opener is find your flair and what's authentic to you because also how you say it matters just as much as what you say, in my opinion. I also think I also think the closing deserves a script and depending on how your organization is going to approach your, your call sessions. Like today I'm going to, I'm only going to call CMOs as an example, like you can have a pretty consistent ask in trying to evoke a conversation, I think, or if you're going to like, I'm only going to go after people in manufacturing. Okay. Bring to the table something about the manufacturing industry that you can consistently use in your 50 dials for the day. That's, I don't know if I'm answering your question, Brad. I, I think no, there's no, a, you're there's totally, a time you're totally, you're totally answering this one. for a no, script I, I think... and there's also value in going unscripted because that's when like genuine, authentic conversations happen. Well, I no. So you no, you did a great job. This is kind of open, kind of open forum. I, you know, I think scripting gets a lot of a bad rap, a bad rap. Yeah. Um, I think when people, people say, oh, we don't have a script, we have a call point. That's the same dang thing. Here's the thing. If you got to know your stuff and you got to yeah. be able to say it when somebody, when somebody hits play, you got to yeah. be, 
And I think what happens is we confuse the script with, with the, like we use the script as a way to get the information. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where everything goes sideways. Yeah. Learning the product and understanding the product is separate from like what you're going to say. Sure. And you got to be able to know your stuff. Cause if you don't know your stuff, the only reason why a script isn't a good thing is if you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And they you know what you're talking about, it. then yeah. Like it's so obvious. You can feel it. <laughs> if you know what you're talking about and you're scripted, everybody likes it. If you yeah. don't know what you're talking about and you're scripted, I mean they can tell and they can definitely tell when they ask you a question and you don't know what you're talking about and you go back to the script. Sure. So yeah, so I think that I think that's I think that's important. I just I always like to ask people, you know, who are in the SDR role, script or no script, because it, yeah. it tends to it's one of those things like people get People get mad. <laughs> I think there's a time and a place for it, especially. Uh, for sure. I, so, Brett, I did a lot of video prospecting in my SDR days, and oh, gosh, when I would hit play, I'd get tongue tied, and then my my videos would be three minutes long, and I'm like, "What did you just accomplish? Three minutes? Like you're just stumbling over your words." And so, this is very specific to like video prospecting. I would create a script on exactly like what I'm going to say. I'm going to practice it in the mirror because you're on video. You need to look enthusiastic. Uh, you believe in your product. Uh, it needs to be very compelling in your tone. So uh, starting off, I would create a script on every single thing uh, that I wanted to say to somebody. And then eventually, like I got so many reps underneath my belt that I was able to pivot that script depending on who I'm actually targeting. If I wanted to personalize to the company level or the contact level, depending on if they had stuff on their LinkedIn page. So I, I think starting off uh, a script is definitely valuable. And like you said, once you know the product, the marketing, the positioning better and better, it's going to, you're just going to mold it and it's going to sound, you're going to be very convincing and compelling. <laughs> right. Well, well, I think, um, you can, you know, so here's my thought. I think phone prospecting, look, it is tough because it's hard to get people on the phone. But yeah. If you get the right person on the phone, I think it really comes down at least, and maybe this is, I take a lot, I take a lot. I'm not going to throw my phone number out here because people will be blowing me up. But I sure. take like almost every sales call yeah. because I'm, I, we're in the space yeah. and I want to hear what they say. You know, I mm -hmm. want to hear like, Give me your pitch. Give me your intro. I want to like, I take lots of sales calls because I like want to hear, I think the best way to learn how to sell is go have somebody sell you something. And yeah. you're like, oh, that feels good. Or that doesn't feel good. Or I think this is a big misnomer. Mm -hmm. As a salesperson, I think you, we like to think that the buyer is only going to have positive experiences, feelings mm -hmm. and positive feelings create a sale. But yeah. I actually think the opposite is true. I do a lot of stuff that I don't like but still get, gets the result. And I do a lot of stuff I like, like meaning if I, you're selling to me, the uh -huh. default position as a salesperson is like, we don't want any negative energy, right? We want sure. you as the buyer to only have positive experiences. Everything here needs to be smooth. You need to like, you know, buyers don't like to be cold FaceTime, which I'm not advocating for. They don't like to be cold called, yeah. <laughs> all that. They don't like all that stuff. And if they don't yeah. like it, they're not gonna buy it. That's not true. People do all yeah. kinds of stuff with negative emotions and still make, make decisions. Yeah. So like, I like to, I like to interact with buyers. I like to try to think like, how's this making me feel? Sure. And then when yeah. I felt oh, that way, when I felt, okay, that, that kind of made me mad. I didn't like how he handled that, but did that really affect whether I was going to buy the product or not? Yeah. Or did that just like, does that actually make a difference? You know? Yeah. So I loved it. Like I love to take the calls. Like, so I take all the, I, I sort of got in a tirade about taking phone calls, but I love to hear, 
what people say. I love to have the, I love to hear the conversations, how they're going to do the pitch. How, you know, I like to think about my emotions and I think it makes you a better buying stuff makes you a better salesperson. Unfortunately, most salespeople, like you hire an SDR, very few of them have ever been at a table where they're. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they're at a disadvantage because buying a Coke at the vending machine is not the same thing as sitting at a buyer's table, trying to buy a product on budget or in Mm -hmm. budget. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Also, Um, the, the thing you said about like, how are they feeling? I, when I rolled this out to my team of like, I want you guys to start video prospecting again, this is like, this worked for Abby. So let's try it. If it doesn't have to work for everybody. You look like you wanted to say something. I do. Keep going. No, I always okay. want to say something. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. So I was like, you know what? It's, it's worth a shot. We should all try it. And I remember my, my advice to them was when you speak about what you're trying to sell and pitch and how you think you can help this other person on the screen. I want their reaction. I want you to talk in a way that just like brings a smile to their face. So when that's done, like I want them to be like, oh, have this like dumb smile. Like, oh, that person was so, oh yeah. Like, because it's it's so silly, but I felt like whenever I video prospected and got a meeting from it, people were like, I just love your energy. I'm like, well, I can bring my energy to everything. You like my product, <laughs> you like my product too? Like, um, but like, no, we just really like you. We like yeah, your energy. Well, I was going to say that. I like your energy too. I was going to, I was going to tell you, you have good, you have good, you have good energy. I love well, it. Well, it for me as an SDR. So I got something going on. Uh, now, did you find video prospecting didn't work for some people? Yes. And why did you think it didn't work? I think there's a few things. I'm not getting enough time to try it out. I also think not. And it could be, Brad, to be honest, it could be me as a leader not setting proper expectations on like how many videos did it take for me to get out into the wild to actually produce an outcome? Because to to be honest, I I felt like I had fairly quick success when I implemented video prospecting, send way less videos and get way bigger results. That was an Abby thing. And I, I think that I also gave it enough time to see like, does this work for me? You would see stuff to an end. Like, like you, yeah. when you do something, look like you see a start and a finish and you're like trying to get to the finish. You, you really want yeah. something out to Like finish. I wasn't discouraged when the first video I sent out, they didn't even open my email. That's fine. That's, that's okay by me. I'm going to try it again because I also have like being in the SDR top of funnel position. Like I know it takes anywhere between three and six weeks for someone to reply to me. And like, sometimes that's just that persistence and showing up consistently. Like I got to give it time. I've got to sandwich my videos with follow-ups of like, was this intriguing to you or whatever it may be. So going back to the, to the original question, question, Brad, I think time wasn't enough. I think tenure, I, I don't know if at the time my reps like really felt confident in what they were saying and how to be a little bit more moldable into pitching. And I, I would say that those are the two things when I really think of like the root cause of maybe why it wasn't as successful. Those are, those are the top things that come to mind. Do you, well, I think the one thing that's interesting is, you know, these strategies probably work for you because you came up with them. Now the danger here is like, you can't go to an SDR team and be like, we're just going to let you make your own recipes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
it, you can't, I don't think like you could do that. Um, no. So you definitely have to offer some paths, but I think there's sure. ownership there on the video prospecting that really makes a, makes a big difference, right? It sounded like it was self induced by you to be like, Hey, I'm going to like, you probably bought your own license, right? You got a, you got the vidyard for free Yep. or something like that. Yep. Is that what it was? Vidyard yep. for free? Yeah. I was like so dry in meetings and I was like, I have nothing to lose. We'll try it. The first time I like pressed play on recording myself, I was like, oh, cringe. That is so bad. I don't want to like watch myself. I can't even believe somebody would want to watch this. But then, but then I would get reactions of, I love your energy. I'm like, I stumbled on my words. What are you talking about? I know. Isn't that so like, <laughs> I mean, I've sold some stuff. I'm going to have Kelsey, I'm going to have you cut this out. But like I've sold stuff where it's like, like I, I know I didn't even like I, I was grunted. Like yeah. my wife will be like, "Hey, you're just grunting," and I'm like, "I know. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't know yeah. how you can grunt through a sales call and still get a big check." Yeah. Well, so I don't know. What is it? Right? Prospecting. There were yeah. a lot of times where I'm like, I shouldn't have gotten that meeting, but I did. I'm not going to complain. Yeah, you got it. You got it. So, so when you, so I'm going to ask you when you're bringing on sales development reps. You know, I've been to the casted site and I've looked at some of the SDRs that are on there. Look pretty young. What do you? Like, what's a fair expect? I, I guess I got, I've got two questions. My first question sure. is you were an SDR here in the last five years. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind when you're like, I'm going to be an SDR. Like what, like what, what are you thinking about? Like, what does an SDR do? And what is your job going to do? And like, what, you know, like, like take me into the mind of somebody. I mean, I've been prospecting for 15 years at this point, but I, I'm so detached from, what it's like to be new to be new to the space and be tasked with, Hey, we're going to call these people. I guess. Okay. So Brad, I want to make sure I understand your question. Like what is going through their mind of, should I take this job or not? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's going like, Hey, hey, Abby, we're going to have you, you're going to make phone calls. So you're going to call Uh these people who've never don't know anything about you, know anything about our product. Uh-huh. and we're going to have you call them and we're going to get you meetings. So like, what's going through your mind? Cause like, I don't know anything. Di- I don't know any different. Like that's the only way I know how to get, yeah. like when I think about as an entrepreneur, the only way I know how to get a hold of you is like create a list. And then I just start going through the ways to get you on the phone. Right. I'm going to yeah. call you, I'm going to email you, but that's from like an entrepreneur's mindset. So I'm asking like, as an SDR, like what is going like, Hey, that sounds like fun. I think there's two ways this could go of like, I am so scared what do you mean I need to call a stranger or, okay, let's do it. I'm ready to fall on my face and sound like an idiot. I feel like those are like the two. Oh, that's just going through your mind. Of okay. Of like, okay, I'm ready to do that's this. Going like, I'm going to outwork everybody. That's the mentality I had. Like I wanted to step in and like, and everybody's. So activity is important. Like the number of dials that you make. I totally believe like there is a sweet balance of quality and quantity. But like when I was starting SDRing, I was like, I'm going to smoke all of you in dials. That's just like what I wanted to do. And also at the same time, my mentality is, was I'm not going to learn how to do this without doing it. And like, sure, I could do hundreds of role plays. But what ends up happening in role plays typically is either somebody like on, if you and I were role playing and you were my prospect, you're either going to make sure I get to the finish line or you're going to be completely rude in Make <laughs> my like that's that's you're right. There's no there's no middle ground in role play, right? Like if we no, there's no 
No, I think there's like every single role play that I've been in, it's like somebody's too nice and they just want, they let me get to the, to the end game, even if I didn't bring my best self or yeah. it's the exact opposite where somebody just like is relentless and you, you're like, come you're on, just, man, I, I can't even get in a batter's position because you can't, you don't even let me get there. Yeah. So I, I think in, in my mentality, it was like, I'm never going to learn this if I just, I need to get out in the wild because also I feel like every single role play that I had was the type of person that like doesn't let me see it through. And I felt like when I did get on the phone, it was so much easier to talk to a prospect than it was to role play to my boss that was just being ruthless. So it, it like at the end of the day, like I would get stumbled when people would answer and then it would be easier once I start started talking because I had the people that were like putting roadblockers of you're not going to get past me. Um, this is a uh. hard no. I, I think that that's an important thing too, is like, if you think about and maybe it's because I'm slightly socially awkward, but any <laughs> relationship that means anything to me, I can remember the interaction and it was all goofy. Like mm -hmm. it was all like, like when you meet people, it's just kind of weird. Like yeah. I mean, there's some situations where it's maybe natural, like you're at a party or you start hanging out with somebody and they invite somebody. But if you've ever met somebody for the first time and, and that interaction's cold, you know, yeah. you're at a Bible study or you're at church yeah. or you're like in a line. That whole thing's weird. Like, like, Hey, yeah. I don't, Hey, I don't know you. And it's like, Hey, yeah. cool shoes. And there's more smooth operator ways to do stuff, but in sure. general, it's a little weird. Like, it's all, yeah. Cause you don't also want to call like you don't pick up on nonverbal cues. You don't know what their face is looking like. And I am the type of person that I actually, I hate bragging about myself, but I feel like I'm very self-aware okay. and I feel like uh, I can read a room pretty well. And pretty good. yeah, but like on a call, I can't, I, I, can't. I mean, I can read the room by tone, but I also, I also think like something that I've been thinking about recently is I think also everybody's, a lot of SDRs are like too quick to the outcome. Like if I get them on the phone, I have to get them to a meeting. And I, again, I think there's like, obviously we're incentivized to get the meeting because that's how we get paid. We have a quota. That's what we have to do. But I think something is just like it, after your opener, if they like allow you to keep talking or whatever it is, I don't know where you stand on this, Brad, of like asking permission. Like, do you have a second just to hear what I have to say? And then if it doesn't make sense, you can tell me to kick rocks. If you like what you hear, I'll keep talking. But just laying out expectations in a call, by the end of this call, I'm expecting nothing. My, my end goal is to try and see if a larger conversation after this call is worthwhile. I, I think that I wish I would have done that in cold calling because I think it would have taken off a, a, like a ton of pressure. Because I think a lot of people are immediately on the defense and they're like, no, 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 I don't know you. You're a stranger. But if you say like, I just want to see if you find this intriguing. And then the, uh, the ball is so in their court. And the ball's in their court. Yeah. Totally agree. And I so totally agree. And one of the things like when we built the product or I still do this, like I did this yesterday, I call people and, and I talk to them about, you know, what our product could be. Yeah. And when I call somebody up and I'm like, Hey, look, you know, this is what I'm trying to, yeah. Hey, I see you're an SDR manager. We're working on developing a product. I'd like to get your feedback. Do you know how many people tell me no? Yeah. Zero. Cause there's no expectation in that situation. Yeah. But do you know, those typically turn into good leads though, because yeah. people, you start talking and they're like, oh, we could use what you have now, you know? And it's like, there's, a, there's no pressure. Um, and so I, I totally agree. I, I think what, where my mind goes in this conversation and you, is 
you know, what's the purpose of a, of, I'm going to call it a cold call, but what's the purpose of a prospecting phone call? Is it to get a meeting? I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you make that the end, then 90% of the time you're losing. And I, and I just yes. think there's more. I agree. If you get off the phone call, if it's the right company and you get off the phone call with no meeting, but it's the right company, you just got the wrong person. Yes. You know, like most of the time when I go through call data and I look at it for us specifically, and I look at somebody and they said they're not interested, you know what, mm-hmm. they, what they really said? That's not my department. Yeah, that's not me. Because very few people are not interested in things that benefit them. Absolutely. So that yeah. means that, and that's not to say that, you know, that's not to say that, you know, that's not to say that some people don't say they're not interested because they're not interested. But a lot of cases, it's just like, this guy couldn't have been interested if you paid him. It wasn't what he did, you know? Yeah. He's not, I know it says he's the VP of sales, but like, it was very clear on the phone call. He said he didn't over, you know, lead generation comes out of marketing. Right. So then it's your job. See, that's where I feel like you, if you create the goal to be an appointment, it's like you miss out on the really good opportunity for that person to be like, well, it's actually, you know, Abby's in charge of that. Yeah. And then, you know, like, you know, kind of. Can I, I tell you called or we got to make it our, somebody said, we got to make it our little secret, which made me laugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 so, so what's the purpose? I mean, I guess I, I said it and I answered it for myself, but like, what, what do you think the purpose of a cold call is? Cold processing cold call. Since most of the time it's, uh, I mean, when you just said cold call, it's very cold. I think there's like, an, it's an opportunity to get your company's name in front of them. Uh, again, it, like if you're using an omni-channel approach, like, even if they just like start making this association that, oh, this, oh yeah, this company keeps looking at me and maybe, or calling me and maybe three months from now, I'll look it up because I remembered it. I think that that's the goal is just getting the name out there. And I also think information gathering is a piece of it. Um, I also think, and maybe this isn't the best goal to have Brad, but making them position the call in a way that they feel like they want to talk to you again. And like, don't push your own agenda on them. Just, just talk like people. And I know those aren't great goals and those are maybe not measurable and quantifiable, but I think that it's a longer game, especially now. I felt like when I first started out being an SDR, it was like way more transactional. Now it feels like things are the long game now. So to me, I don't think the end goal should be an appointment. If you can get an appointment, if you just so happen to get somebody on the phone that's immediately assessing a vendor at this time that does exactly what you do, they didn't know about you in the space, like, because there's also an element of luck and timing in this job. I 100% agree. I think it, yeah. you know, I wrote down, be, be interesting. I mean, yeah. nobody, I mean, if you call me, if you're interesting, I'll talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. You know, I've got something to learn. Dry. Yeah, don't be dry. I no. mean, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, look, I think, and there's, look, there are, the problem with phone process, with anything that you get, that you go look up on LinkedIn, there's so many different ways to do this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not a, there's not a one size fits all. You know, what I've found over the, you know, the podcast, listen to people's stories and successes and failures. Most people don't have the same story. They're getting there different ways. And so there's lots of ways to do it. And I think the thing is like, you know, sticking in there. There's some core components, right? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do stuff. And I think the biggest challenge uh, is that a lot of stuff is a dichotomy, mm-hmm. meaning that they're at odds. So 
it's like, it's always good to be a listen, good listener, except for when you need to talk and say something super important, you know, yeah. like those are two, yeah. two ideas that are kind of, you know, at odds. And um, this is probably on my mind because the gal we had on yesterday mentioned this, but Jocko Willett, who's a, wrote a book called uh, Extreme Ownership, he talks about the leadership dichotomy of like, you know, you basically have leadership is all um, about two. I, I mean, you're just constantly in opposition with two, you know, two different ideas. It's like you need to be strict and intense and you yeah. need to keep people on task. But then there's times where you can't do that. Like it's yeah. a dichotomy. There's you have to be able to know, you know, when to do the opposite. I think that's the tough thing about sales, right? Absolutely. It's like you, you, you want to do it one way, except for when it's not the time to do it that way. So you got to have good situational awareness. And that's yes. the point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I completely agree. Well, this was, uh, this was great. I asked my, I had an awesome conversation. It was great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.